Welcome to the Project Seaway podcast, a show for service-based entrepreneurs to explore the intersection of risk and uncertainty in their business and personal life. I'm your host, Julie Yokoyama, small business operations consultant specializing in strategic planning and risk management. I am your super planner and self-proclaimed calm in the chaos. In today's episode, we'll explore the fundamentals of identifying risk and even opportunity in your business and considerations for evaluating and planning your response to what is deemed most important. So let's dive in. So today we're going to talk about response planning. But before I do that, I want to ask you a few questions and see if some of these things resonate. Have you ever felt like you were treading water in your business, barely able to catch a breath before the next wave hits you? Or maybe fearful of what may be swimming below your feet so you don't even want to get in the water? Or uncertain of what support might be out in the distance to pull you back into safety of the lifeboat? These may sound a little extreme as far as analogies go, but I've spoken to many entrepreneurs from those just starting out to successful veterans up-leveling on their path, and at every stage I've heard sentiments mirroring this kind of overwhelm, fear, and uncertainty. Although the lived circumstances of each business and entrepreneur may be different, I often see a few commonalities in where some of their struggles may be rooting from. One could be the leader is not making time to get a visionary perspective on the business. And I talked about this a little bit in the first episode. And I say make time because you need to be intentional and build strategic thinking into your schedule. Life will inevitably bring many demands pulling you in all the directions, but it's up to you to shake yourself loose from the chains of obligation and board your flight on what I call visionary airlines. You got to get up to that 30,000 foot altitude to be able to take a breath and a calm look at everything that's going on around you. The second thing is the operational foundations are built more on sand than concrete. As the business was growing and things were becoming more successful, the system structure and resources were not matching the pace. So there wasn't hiring, there weren't new tools being implemented, and then there weren't processes and SOPs put in place to systemize and replicate successful activities. There also tends to be an assumption here that the status quo will continue to deliver just as it has before. And missing the gravity of change brewing and the pressure cooker effect developing for the team and the business as a whole. So for example, an unspoken expectation could exist that everyone involved needs to resist change and evolution in their own lives as to not fail the mission. And this can lead to burnout and morale issues. This is usually a byproduct of not doing number one, going back to making time for the visionary thinking, but it can also be a result of a scarcity mindset when it comes to money and investing in the business, a fear of the unknown, fear of failure, avoidance of change, or even a lack of clarity and where the business is heading, aka the vision. And to be honest, like just going through the motions to pay the bills, that becomes less and less inspiring over time. We start to need a more clear why to continue to show up and want to grow this business. And third, they're simply not managing risk. They may be feeling doubt and uncertainty in themselves, the team, the business model, the experience with clients, 
And this can be because they've been repeatedly blindsided by problems and roadblocks. And I say blindsided because they didn't see it coming. And this could be simple and easily preventable things. But if we're not making the time to take a deep breath and look at things and think through critically of what could happen if things go off track or think critically going into opportunities Does this exciting, shiny object opportunity really make sense for our priorities over the next quarter and over the next year? Is it driving us towards where we want the business to go and the vision? So if there isn't that pillar or like guidepost to follow, then we're more likely to be just wandering around aimlessly And I say blindsided because they didn't see it coming. And this could be highly preventable things. But if we're not taking a deep breath and thinking critically from time to time and monitoring the potential for risk, even as projects are underway, then of course we're going to be more blindsided. And I have to say, you know, things going wrong or not according to plan, it feels different when you have proactively considered it as a possibility. So if you already have it in your mind or at least in your planning that this risk scenario could happen, if it does come to pass, it's going to hurt less because you've already acknowledged it and potentially have planned for it, whether that be delegating more budget, more time to initiate an extension on schedule or alternative resources that you have, you know, previously identified that can step in and and handle some of the work, etc. If you have already thought of ways to manage that risk, then it's not going to be so detrimental. So if any of the things I just spoke about resonated for you and how you feel at times in your business, then the points that I'm going to talk to now are going to be relevant and tangible for you to start integrating into how you approach strategy in your business. Okay, so before we can respond to risk, we need to identify the risk. And before we can identify the risk, we have to understand what we're evaluating. And in project management, we often talk about inputs and outputs. So there, for each phase of planning something, there are inputs that go into that activity for the inputs of identifying risk, we have to gather the scope of what we're evaluating. And so this can be different pieces of information. And it really depends on what is the degree and depth of what you're evaluating. So whether that be a strategy, a business model, so something very large scale, or is it a project, a goal, an action, an outcome, an idea, or a simple decision. It kind of is like an accordion effect of just how much will be involved in this process. We'll take the example of a project. So for a project, the things that you would uh, need to pull together to evaluate risk and even opportunities is you would obviously want, what are we going for here? What is the goal and the desired outcome? And then that would also include an outline of the project. I would say like a best case scenario, 
the most critical items uh, as the crow flies, getting you from where you are now to the desired destination. And then with that, it also will be scope requirements, like in just an outline. It could be just some simple bullets of what does winning look like? What is success in this scenario? And then timeline. What's the timeline look like? What is the expectation there? And are there other people involved? Whether that be as far as like stakeholders that are influencing the decision-making, team members acting in the implementation of the work. So understanding who's all involved and who needs to be aware of what. And then based on the timeline involved with this project and who's involved, you'll need the resource calendar. You'll need to know what their availability looks like. This can bring awareness and even risk identification around what is the impact. Let's just assume we're talking about team members here. If they are to work on this project, what is the impact on other things happening in the business? So are there other projects at play that we have strategic timelines we're trying to meet? Do we have a clear vision on where we want to be in six months, 12 months? And is working on this project, does it make the most sense? Does this project as a whole make sense? Those kinds of things. But the resource calendars will help you identify where they committed in other places potentially Are there any vacations or time off that would essentially render them unavailable for parts of the timeline? Just kind of looking at those things. And then that can start to spark, like, do we need to look at other freelancers that might be available to step in or or shift workloads in some other capacity? Then it's also thinking about if this is a project that you have done in the past, Often at the end of a project, it's good to do some sort of debrief to gather lessons learned. If any of that information exists, I would definitely bring that into this conversation as well because you go through that exercise to identify what worked, what didn't work, how can we do better. Out of what did work, we want to repeat that or improve on it to continue to relive that success. So those are a lot of the pieces of what I would recommend bringing into this conversation if it's applicable to what you're evaluating, obviously. So once you gather all of that, then you determine, do you want to bring other people in and kind of crowdsourcing for risk and opportunity identification? And I would recommend, depending on the scope and scale of what you're doing, you'll be the best judge of how to approach this. But... I would usually recommend you or the appropriate team member, somebody take the first pass at risk identification and then bringing in other people, whether that be other team members, legal support, mentors, peers, even client input. Having some things already identified will make that conversation a lot easier with those other people because it won't be they won't be starting from ground zero and usually like bringing in others. It's nice to for them to be able to see where the thinking is going, and then they can start to bring in their perspectives, which is a great thing to do because other people think differently than you, and they'll be able to see things that you won't see. And so there's definitely value in crowdsourcing. So once you've identified your risks and then also opportunities, and I do want to just have a short tangent on opportunities. So 
like looking at opportunities that can be two layers. So it can be finding opportunities within the thing you're evaluating, the same practices you're doing with identifying risks and where things can go off track. But also you could be looking at opportunities as a whole and that's what you're evaluating. So when you're looking at opportunities, you can evaluate how it serves your strategy, how it serves your vision of where you're trying to go and thinking about like the energy, the time, and the financial resources potentially involved in that opportunity. So whether that be that what you'll get, what you'll receive in return for pursuing it, or if there is an investment involved in it, what is the impact and is it actually serving what you're trying to do in the bigger picture, where you're trying to go? The other things you're currently working on, is it going to be a distraction from that, whether it be a distraction for you, a distraction for your team members, etc. So this is a great practice for looking at opportunities as well. So it's not all just what can go wrong or being a negative Nancy. It's really a great practice that can be just looking at everything. So after we've identified the risk, you then want to go through each thing you listed. This is a great thing because you're brain dumping. You can get all of those worries and concerns out of your head in addition to just getting other perspectives and playing devil's advocate and all of those different things. And then you look at each one and you start to rank them. There's different ways to do risk analysis. The easiest path in a lot of things that we're looking at, it's impact and probability evaluation. You can create the matrix, which is like four boxes. It's X and Y axis of impact and probability. And then it's looking at each thing is like, okay, well, this might, this thing might be low impact and low probability. So, okay, it's great that I acknowledged it. I accept that there's a a low probability it'll happen. We're not going to take action on planning on it further or trying to take any preventative measures. Then there may be things that are low probability and high impact. And that's a little bit of a, you could just kind of like let it go or at least just monitor it. Or depending on what it is, the fact that it has a high impact, if it were to happen, you may or may not want to take some sort of measures to consider how you could minimize the impact in case it happened. But I think that really depends on how many other things you have listed that seem more actionable. So then there's the high probability, low impact. And so those are things where maybe you just accept the risk because the impact is low if they were to happen. Maybe you flag it and then you think about like maybe we could look at some preventative measures or some mitigation to just if it does happen, we just know what we're going to do. And then there's the critical critical, which is the high impact, high probability. And so this box of things are going to be the things that you definitely address. And what you choose to move forward with in response planning, that's really up to you. It's up to your comfort level, what your risk tolerance is. That is going to be different for everybody. And some of the things you're looking at, there's not really going to be a lot to do. Or there might be a lot of things to consider. So it's going to really run the spectrum. But I think the thought exercise and getting in a habit of going through this process and making it at least somewhat of a formal process that you go through with your team, 
when planning out projects, I think it's really just going to save you a lot of time, money, just making smarter choices and just creating more efficiency for everybody. So now we get into the response planning with the things that we have deemed most critical to proceed versus things that we may dismiss, we might accept, we might just be monitoring. So I'm just going to quickly go through what some of these options are. And then in the next episode, I'm going to go more in depth with some of the risk response plans that you'll more often be utilizing. So there is avoidance. This could be you choose to just simply avoid the risk completely. And this might involve changing the scope of the project to take out what would potentially trigger that risk happening. Then there is mitigation, which is taking an early action to reduce the probability or impact. And this can look like simplifying your process. Let's say you're you're building a funnel or you're building an application or just anything. It can involve just more testing before you actually release it to the public. So doing more beta testing just to, to ensure that all of the pieces and all of the steps in the process are acting as they should and triggering the desired outcomes or more thoughtful selection of what tools or resources that you utilize in whatever the project activity is. Then there's acceptance, which I already kind of mentioned. So there's acceptance of the risk being present, but no action will be taken. It's considered low enough priority that it's like just not that big of a deal if it were to happen and it likely won't come to pass anyway. Then there is transferring or sharing risk, which is shifting the ownership to a third party. And so that can look like getting insurance, warranties, guarantees. When looking at hiring, it can be choosing to hire a contractor versus an employee. So obviously that distinction shift would impact the nature of the role and the scope of what that resource can do on an ongoing basis. So there's different things to look at there, but hiring a contractor shifts liability away from the business and onto the contractor more so. Then there's joint venture partnerships and subcontracting. So other methods of shifting liabilities around. And then obviously contracts, right? (laughs) Contracts and things like that. Those are some of the directions that you can go in when you're evaluating risk. And then you can get into, depending on which direction you choose to go in, you get into formulating, okay, what's the next step? Once we pick our direction, then it's response plan time. Determining, are we doing preventative measures ahead of time? Are we just going to be planning for if the risk event triggers, these are the actions that will be initiated at that time. And so that can look like continuity planning, it can contingency planning. And then my favorite form of contingency planning, which you'll see me talking about all the time, is succession planning, which I think is the most universally necessary contingency plan that all businesses, any size need. 
So in the next episode, we will focus on the response planning and what each of those plans mean and what they look like in action. We'll especially spend time on talking to succession plans. If today's conversation resonated with you, let me know by leaving a review. That is the best way to help me bring this information and support to more business owners. Also, if you have questions or you want me to dive into anything more specifically in any of these episodes, shoot me a DM in Instagram or LinkedIn, or you can email me at hello at julioyama.com. And I would love to hear from you. I love connecting. I love meeting new people. And I nerd out about all this content. I really want to know what you guys want to hear from me and so that I can better tailor it to serve you and being successful and, you know, covering your ass, damn it. So reach out and don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already so you won't miss the next episode and I'll catch you in the next one.